A lot of you, the last time we were here, I am not good with names. I'm slow to learn them. I will learn them, I promise. Um, you just have to be patient with me. Um, but I'm so excited to be here. Uh, my family's so excited to be here, um, traveling a long ways to get here. But we got here, um, and I just, I've been overwhelmed um, with how loving and kind y'all have been and just so welcoming um, to us already. And we've only been here one day, um, and so I'm just very excited to be to be one of your pastors and to get to follow Jesus alongside you. And I'm just so excited to see um, what God's going to do in in our lives and in our church as we just continue um, to follow Him together. And if you will, if you want to go ahead in your Bibles and turn to the Book of James. Um, I'm going to be starting off a, a series here right in the book of James, and this is one of my favorite books, um, which is part of why I chose it. Um, but what I, what I love about the book of James is that it is, it's a very fascinating book. It's one of the most accessible books of the Bible, in that it's, because some of the books of the Bible you read, and man, they're tough. You feel like you need a thesaurus or a dictionary, or you just want to skip some chapters because there's a lot of genealogies in here. Um, but James is very accessible, it's very easy to read, but it's also incredibly challenging. Okay, James doesn't pull any punches. Okay, he just hits us over and over and over with what our lives um, should look like. And the central question that James really wrestles with, and that we'll see over these next few weeks as we go through these chapters, the central question that James is chasing is, you know, what does following Jesus actually look like? So what does following Jesus look like practically in our lives, in the day-to-day, on Monday morning when you wake up and you head to work and you're saying you're a follower of Jesus, what does that actually look like in your life? And it's many of us, probably most of us in this room, if we're saying, yeah, like we want to follow Jesus, we want to be followers of Jesus, then that's something that we should figure out, right? We want to have figured out, okay, what does it look like? What should my life look like? How should we follow Jesus. And there's so much um, in here to cover. We're going to be going over the first um, the first chapter. I'm not going to have time to cover every single thing. I mean, it would take weeks to just go through even the first few verses. Um, I don't want to do that. I could do that. I'm not that interested in doing that. Um, but I really just want to hit the main big ideas and hit some stuff here and there so that we, as we wrestle with it and as you wrestle with the text later on in in your week, and you, when you come back to the book of James, you can feel like you have some tools in your toolbox. You can feel, okay, I really get the big idea of what he's doing here. Uh, but so I'll just go ahead and I'll just I'll read it, um, I'll just all of chapter 1, if you want to follow along with me. It'll be on the screen or in your Bibles or however you access God's Word. And it starts and it says, James, a servant of God and our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes and the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind." For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. 
Let the lowly brother boast in his exultation, and let the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers with the grass, and its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, and the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change." Of his own, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. And if anyone thinks that he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless." Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Man, there's a lot in here. I mean, as you see, just some context at the beginning, this this book of James is written by the half-brother of Jesus, um, who actually, during Christ's life, wanted nothing to do with him, thought he was crazy and just completely ignored him. And it wasn't until after his resurrection he himself came to faith. And so at the beginning I find it fascinating that he doesn't identify himself as, well, I'm, I'm James, I'm Jesus' half-brother, so you should listen to me. I've got some unique insight and authority. Now his authority comes from just being a servant, being a follower of God and a follower of Jesus, that he just puts himself alongside us. Um, I find that I find that fascinating. And one thing you need to you need to know about the book of James is James has been kind of kind of beat up. It's been ignored a lot over the church, throughout the church's history, especially by theologians or commentators. Because and some have really struggled with it. Martin Luther had a really big problem with the book of James. He just didn't like the book of James. He really wrestled with it and struggled to understand it. And part of the reason that is is there's not lots of heavy deep theology in the book of James. Okay, he's not going deep into soteriology or dispensationalism or he's not using big words. It's not like the book of Romans where you're just having chapter after chapter on justification and sanctification. It's, there's not lots of end time stuff like Revelation. Okay, he just doesn't do most of that. And so theologians sometimes can look at that and be like, eh, okay, well, that, that's a little too easy. Let me go do something hard. Um, but what James does is he he's doing theology, but he's doing the, the second step of theology, the practical part of it. That, okay, what does faith look like? Okay, which is this calling this series just faith at work. What does faith look like when it's going to work? What does faith look like when we're actually living it out? And sometimes, and this is something to keep in your back of your mind as we study James over these past few weeks, is James and Paul can seem, to some people, seem like they're contradicting each other. 
Okay, but they're not. What James and Paul are doing is they're asking very different questions about faith. And James is actually, James is probably one of the first books of the Bible written. It's definitely one of the first of the letters. It's probably before even most of the gospel. So it's one of the first things that Christians received after Jesus and left. And what James is doing, and what James is interested in asking, as I can't say that, it's just, what does following Jesus, what does faith actually look like practically? So that's what James is asking. So when he talks about faith, that's what he's doing. Is How can I tell you? Tell me you have faith. How can I tell you have faith? What does that actually look like? But what Paul is asking about faith is what's necessary to be saved. Which So those are different. Those are two totally different questions. So just keep that um, in the back of your mind as we as we wrestle with this. And the first part of chapter 1 where we're going to spend a lot of time in is just in these first couple of verses, just in the beginning where it says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you when you meet trials of various kinds. And, you know, two weeks ago, I knew James preached through trials and hardship, and I listened to that sermon, and it was really great, and I was blessed by it, so I don't want to... I don't want to retread and recover a lot of what he did, but there's some unique things that James says about this I want to point out. And one of them, so even just that phrase where he says, okay, you know, when you, when you meet trials, okay, that sounds pretty tame, right? When, when you're heading out to Walmart and then, you know, you bump into somebody you know, okay, that happens a lot, small town, right? Oh, you know, you just, you bump into a trial and you meet it. Okay, that's, that's not what James is really getting at. And James uses a lot of unique words that don't pop up in other places in the New Testament. And the word he's actually using here for meat trials, two of the other places it's used, one of the places is in the parable of the Good Samaritan, okay, to describe the Samaritan man running into some thieves and robbers who beat him, steal all of his stuff, and leave him for dead. Okay, he just, he ran into them. And then the other one is to describe Paul's ship when it met, when it bumped into a reef and sank. And then they all had to swim for shore. Okay, that's what James is doing. Okay, that's that's a little different picture than just me kind of, you know, bump, lackadaisical meat into it. No, this is when when trials crash upon your life. Okay, when your phone rings in the middle of the night with some horrible news. Okay, when you get a diagnosis from the doctor that you really weren't hoping for. Man, when life just, when it hits you, when things come to a halt, when you get called into the boss's office and his face doesn't look great and you know you're about to hear something really terrible you were hoping you wouldn't. Okay, that's what James is painting this picture of. When these kind of trials bump into you, when these circumstances face you, count it all joy. Okay, James, that's, that's weird. Alright, how, what do you, what do you mean by count it all joy? How am I supposed to do that? Well, let me say first, what James does not mean is that our response to that kind of suffering should just be, woohoo! Yes! I got fired. Yes! I, you know, cancer, woohoo, just what I was hoping for. Thank you, Jesus. That's amazing. Man, I'm really glad that person I love just died. Isn't that just so lovely and wonderful? That is not what James is talking about. Okay, that is not some kind of Christian Buddhism where we escape suffering by just removing our attachments or by not caring about it. Okay, what, what, it's, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay in the midst of suffering, in the midst of hardship to be devastated. Okay, those are natural human emotions. Death and sin, sin wrecks. Okay, sin destroys life and death is the enemy. It is not a good thing to be celebrated. It's something to be lamented and to be sad over. But 
in the midst of that, this word, when he says consider or count, he's saying, okay, in the, when you feel all of those emotions crashing upon you, when your life is falling apart and you don't know what you're going to do, you don't know how to respond, in the midst of all of that suffering, choose joy. You have to make a conscious, deliberate choice that in the midst of all of those feelings, in the midst of all of that suffering, that you are going to bring it to Jesus. That you're going to bring it to him. and That even in the midst of that, we can still rejoice and praise him. It doesn't mean that the only emotion that you feel is joy. It just means that somewhere in all of the basket case of your emotions, whenever you're there, joy and hope are present. Even if it's just a little bit. Even if that's all you can muster. You need to choose joy. There are so many examples um, of believers throughout history, even in our, our Bibles in Job, that in the midst of losing all of his possessions, all of his kids, everything he knew, he still says, he still chooses to praise God. Okay, he's not celebrating, he's not saying, ah, isn't this awesome? He's devastated, he's hurt. He says, Lord, still, though you slay me, I'll still praise you. I think if there's a, a student at DTS right now who's I've been really blessed by his writing and, and his work and his his wife um, and him were expecting a son and so you know sell all the celebration and excitement that goes on with that and then they go their natural due date and then the baby comes and there's no heartbeat and so they're devastated and but still and see him in in his writing and talking saying like this is awful this is horrific but I still choose to praise and thank God, and I know that he is good. Okay, that's, that's what James means in counting it all joy, that even in the midst of your nightmare, in the midst of the thing that you were hoping wouldn't come to pass, you choose, choose joy and to face God. And in my own life, I've seen this play out where the, when those things happen, where a lot of times my prayer is just, God, I hate this. God, I don't understand this. God, I don't like this. I'm a little mad at you right now but I trust you, and I know you're good, and I love you. And just, man, Lord, just help me. Just help me. Because sometimes following James and just counting it all joy, that's, that's what it looks like. And so if you're taking notes, your, your, your first point here um, in your blank is that hardship reveals true faith. That hardship really reveals true faith. And, and that's part of what I think James is talking about, that when this hardship comes, this, this testing of your faith, it's giving an opportunity to, to reveal what, what your faith is actually like. Because, man, following Jesus is really easy when everybody's doing it. Okay? Following Jesus is super easy. Following Jesus, looking like a believer is really easy. If you go back a couple hundred years ago in our country, when you had to go to church on Sunday. Okay? It was really easy to be a member of a church when, well, you had to be a member of a church or you ain't going to work anywhere. Okay? That's pretty easy. Okay? It's easy to Jesus, when it's the popular thing, it's easy to follow Jesus when everything's going pretty well, when your bank account's full, when your kids are happy, when your marriage is good, when you have relationships that are that are going well. Okay, it's harder to follow Jesus when those things start falling apart. Okay, then you start to realize, okay, who is actually interested in following Jesus when it gets difficult? Who's actually interested in following Jesus when it's not the popular thing to do? When hardship comes, when the faith is being tested, who is actually enduring that their faith can be perfect and complete, that it can be, and it's this idea of maturity. I heard about the term, that was Warren. <laughs> that's fun. <laughs> hey, that's all right. 
I believed it, but I heard it when I heard it at 9.30, and the weird time change thing you all do, I thought, maybe we avoided it, but I guess not. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> but when, when hardship comes, when, okay, when we face hardship, it reveals what our faith is actually like. Okay, do we actually have some really strong faith that in the midst of a nightmare, like my friend with their son passing, that you still can praise God, or do you just totally shut down and, and you walk away? And I met the head of a, of a Christian counseling ministry, and they did very serious counseling stuff, right? And so they did really in-depth, hard counseling um, with difficult cases and people facing some really serious things. And so one of the things I remember is he said in their interview process, when they were talking to people and trying to figure out, you know, okay, what kind of counselors are we going to hire? The main question that he would ask, he'd work up to it, and he'd eventually ask him, okay, why don't you tell me about a time that God broke you? Why don't you tell me about a time that you're just real, at the most broken? Just tell me about that. And based on how they answered that, he would really, that really kind of be the thing. Where if they didn't have anything, they're like, you know, I don't know, life's pretty good. I haven't, I haven't really felt like God's ever broken me. There's nothing really I've had to go through. Okay, I don't really think that you can do this then. Because this is really hard ministry. We're dealing with people who have really suffered. And if you haven't actually gotten, gotten through that yourself, I, I don't know if I can help you. And so I, you know, right or wrong, but I, I found that interesting because the, what I think he really, the core of what he got at is somebody who has been through incredibly difficult things, somebody who has been through hardship, who has been through real suffering and has come out the other side with joy and is still following Jesus, that is true faith, and we can be confident in their faith, right? But suffering doesn't always bring that about. There are lots of people who don't pass the test. There are for some people that suffering just doesn't lead to steadfastness, but for them it leads to bitterness. For them it just leads to anger at God. For them it just leads to blaming God. We see James later um, in 13 through 15 talk about, you know, when you're tempted, when you're facing trials or temptation and sin, don't blame God for it. There are people that that's where they go, and that's where they stay. They can't get out of it. And that's this test and what James is talking about. It, it's really only successful passing of the test that produces steadfastness. And it's really only this um, that, that helps reveal our, our true faith. But what I love here is that okay, God doesn't leave us alone in our pain. That God doesn't leave us alone in our suffering. He doesn't leave us alone in the nightmare. That He comes down to help us. And here in in verse five, where it says, "You know, if any of you asks lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously." There's one translation. I can't remember which one it is. It just as, as for, He's the giving God, which is is beautiful and a great way to do that. That this is the kind of God that we see, and this wisdom that it's asking about what what. James is getting at, because wisdom is used a lot throughout the Old Testament, is, okay, you're in the midst, you're in the midst of the nightmare, or, or what do we do, what do we, I don't even know what to do. Okay, that's the kind of wisdom he's talking about, of, Lord, help me get out of this. I don't know how to endure this, I don't know how to get through this. And that's what James is saying. If any of you are facing hardship and you don't know what to do, run to Jesus, because he's there to give it to you, because he gives generously. Because he is a generous God who wants to help us. And I love this phrase in the end of five. He gives generously to all without reproach. Okay, to all. It doesn't say, and he gives to all of the pastors and elders and prophets. He'll give to them. Or he'll give to the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, and we're not too sure about. 
or he'll give to everybody who's done really good on their Bible study this week. But if, if you've missed a couple days, then I'm not sure he's going to give to you. He gives to all, to all of us, to every single one who, who's willing to ask, who's willing to chase, that none of us are too far, and he'll do it without reproach. Okay, what does that mean? I mean, he's not going to be frustrated. Again? You're asking me again for help? I thought you got this last time, David. What's your problem? Seriously, now I saw you try 57 things before you came to me. You tried everything you could, and now you're coming to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now you think I'm going to bail you out. That's not what God does. He gives without reproach. Generously, He gives us help. It makes me think, you know, little Calvin, he's about 16 months old. Okay, so feeding him is always an adventure. It's kind of flipping a coin if it's going to go great or not. So sometimes, you know, you start feeding him and he starts throwing stuff on the ground. Okay, he's done. I guess he doesn't want any more. All right, so clean him off, put him down, let him run around. So then we, then I can start eating or Bree can start eating. Okay, but as soon as we start eating, then all of a sudden he comes back. Okay, he crawls right up, pulls up on you, opens his mouth like a bird and starts crying. He says, oh, I'm so hungry, give me food. I'm like, man, really, dude? Like you just, you threw all the fruit on the ground, but now you want the fruit because I'm eating it. Okay, sure. And that happened this morning. Um, he, he didn't eat very well, and then he wanted to eat all the oatmeal and all the yogurt that he wouldn't eat when I was saying it to him. Right, but, but I give it to him, right? Why? Because I love him, because he's my son, and because I care about him. But I, you know, well, I, there's times I'm really annoyed. Okay, God is even better than that. He loves us even more than I, than I love little Calvin. And he gives to us generously, without reproach. He's not annoyed. He's not frustrated. He's just waiting for all of us to just admit that we need help and we need him and we can't do it without him. And he's just waiting and waiting and waiting to do it. And then we see, so these, these verses, kind of 9 and 11, can seem, we're talking about the, the low brother and the rich brother and rich is passing away. You can ask, well, okay, how does that fit? Where's that? What does that have to do with? Well, what I think of part of why this is here is that, man, your wealth will not help you pass this test. That your abilities, your stuff, your whatever, whatever, you fill in the blank. Whatever it is you think that you have that's going to keep you safe, you got your emergency fund and the bank nice and high, so that's going to be good, or you know, you got good life insurance, or whatever. You fill in the blank for what you think you got. At the end of the day, when hardship comes, that's not what's going to bring true faith. That's not what is going to help you. Only God can do that. Your Bible knowledge isn't, your Bible memory, you're having a seminary education, it's not going to fix it. Only a changed heart that seeks God is what's going to help us get through. That's the only thing that brings true faith. And we see here this, um, I, I love when, when it's talking about, okay, so the, this double-minded man, and so, you know, ask without doubting, kind of what is, what is that talking about? What that's talking about is really this idea of, and it, one commentary to describe this, he connected double-mindedness and throughout the Old Testament how it's usually tied to loyalty. So it's kind of patron language, you know, like a patron or somebody would pay a musician a bunch of money so that they could just play, you know, hey, I'll, I'll keep you afloat so you can just play your music and don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. Right, and so this is somebody who flatters the king, right, but they're really kind of loyal somewhere else. And so it's describing God as being an incredible, great patron, the, the king, right, who has, who's giving generously. All you have to do is ask, and he'll give you whatever you want. But it's really, you know, the doubting isn't having just rock-solid faith and never having 
any kind of speck of doubt or whatever. That's not exactly the idea that he has. This double-mindedness of like, well, I, you know, maybe I'll ask God, but I think there's also some other stuff that's going to help me get out of it. Let me see if I can if I can finagle this on my own. Let me see if I can run other places. Let me. See, I've got other idols I can go to instead of God to get me out of this. And so that kind of person that's just using God willingly, maybe we'll go to God, maybe not, I don't know. That's the kind of person James is describing um, that God won't help because they're not asking seriously, because they don't mean it. It's you, you really just need to mean it is to ask God. I mean, there's so much more um, in here in this section. Uh, we don't have time to cover all of it. I encourage you later this week to, to go in and dive more. But really the heart of this in this part I just see is that you know, hardship reveals true faith. Hardship reveals true faith. And, and what I love, and, and the, the last part, I'll, I'll say this quickly, through 16 through 18, when it's talking about you know every good and perfect gift comes down from God, it's just talking again about the goodness of God. That when hardship comes, when life is not going the way you wish it would, that, man, we can trust that God is in control. We don't have to, it's not giving us the answer, hey, here's why this happened. But it's saying, look, God is good and he cares and death and suffering aren't in our lives just for a joke. It's not just in there So, because God thinks, you know, I'm going to throw this at him. I think it'll help him out. But like Joseph, in the Old Testament, who was sold by his brothers into slavery and then stuck in a pit for years. God can take the worst things in our lives and he can use them for his glory, like James talked about two weeks ago, and he can use them for redemption and he can use them in our lives anyway. And so we can trust him even in the midst of it. And then this next section in 19 through 27, for your second point, if you're taking notes, is just that true faith, um, true faith goes to work. That true faith goes to work. And what I mean by that is, okay, true faith doesn't just sit there with its arms crossed and not do anything and never take action. Okay, true faith actually does the word. True faith is actually obedient to what God is saying. In the Bible, all throughout the Old and New Testament, Jesus would use this kind of language a lot. The prophets would. They'd say things like, to those who have ears to hear. So that was kind of confusing as a kid. What do you mean have ears to hear? Most people's ears are for hearing. I don't know what your ears are for. My ears are for hearing. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. But that's what they're supposed to be. But what Jesus and what James is getting at is, okay, the hearing means those who are hearing and who are actually doing something about it. Those who are listening like today, we're all sitting, we're listening, myself, as we're, we're reading God's Word and we're trying to listen to what is God saying. It's not just, oh, that's nice. Okay, anyway, there's pizza coming soon. I wonder where pizza is. That sounds pretty good. I'm excited for that. Later today, how am I going to work out my schedule? The time changed, kind of changed it. So I don't know. It's not that kind of listening. It's listening that does something. Okay, so my hearing is not super great. It gets me into trouble a lot because... I, I just feel bad. I hate asking people to repeat themselves. So if I just don't understand what somebody says, I'll just fake it a lot of the times and just, oh, yeah, yeah, sounds great. And then I don't realize I agreed to something I didn't agree to or my wife will tell me to do something too, right? And say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard you. I heard you. And then a couple later, she'll say, hey, you remember when I said I wanted you to do this? Yes, yes, I heard that. Well, did you hear me? Okay, what she's asking when did you hear me is did you do this? Okay, it wasn't just thrown up into the air, just want to see if your ears work, if you just receive this idea and you sit and marinate on it. It's, 
No, I wanted the trash cans full. That means take out the trash. Okay, do this. Okay, that's if if we're just saying, yeah, 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 I hear you, I hear you. Okay, you're not actually hearing until that leads to your feet moving. Okay, until it leads to you doing something and to putting it into action. And and that's what James is talking about because the reality of it is intellectual pursuit of Jesus is worthless without actually following Jesus. Okay, if you're intellectually pursuing Jesus, if you're intellectually pursuing the Bible or just reading about theology, and you never actually follow Jesus, or you never actually put that into practice in your life, that's worthless. And James describes this as worthless. Right? Just later, especially in 26. And that's what we see as he goes through with doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. And that's what we can do. We can really deceive ourselves. We can deceive ourselves because maybe I listen to some great worship music all day, or I listen to a couple of my favorite preachers on a podcast, or maybe I even read my Bible this week and I, I hit it, so check, I'm good. But if we don't actually do something about it, Okay, then that's not actually true faith. And that's what James is talking about, is we have to live out our faith. That true faith goes to work. That we don't just read this and be convicted and think, okay, yeah, that's interesting. I don't like that. Anyway, next. No, it's we have to actually follow Jesus. So, I mean, imagine so the Pharisees heard a lot of Jesus, right? They're always popping up throughout the Gospels. And they're listening, they're asking questions. Okay, they heard a lot about what Jesus was saying, but they weren't listening. They didn't actually apply any of it. And he was talking to them a lot. Okay, Judas, one of the twelve disciples, he heard even more than the Pharisees about what Jesus was saying. He probably heard just as much as any all the other disciples, right? Okay, but it's not worth anything if you don't do it. If you don't live it out, Judas probably heard heard more of the words of Jesus than you or I will hear till we get to heaven. Okay, but he didn't follow Jesus. He didn't actually do it. He was just a hearer of the word, not a doer only. I love the image James describes: a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets what he looks like. Okay, I really I don't like shaving. My skin's really sensitive. I just I just put it off as long as I can. Okay, and my wife will tell me, yeah, you need to shave. It's not really looking that good. But what I can do is I can look in the mirror and see, well, yeah, that doesn't look good. I probably need to shave. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk away and I'm going to forget about it because I don't want to. I'm just, I'll avoid looking in mirrors. So I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> right? That's, that's kind of what James is talking about. It, it's that. If you looked at it and you saw, because the, the Word is really a mirror. The Word is a mirror for our lives to see, huh, that's what following Jesus looks like. Somebody who does that. I'm not doing that. Okay, then that's where you have the moment to decide, am I going to change? Am I going to take action and try and be a doer of the word and follow Jesus? Or am I just going to ignore it or move on to the next thing? And we need to actually do what Jesus is talking about. You know, sometimes sometimes we can do things, especially we're like trying to find God's will, Right? I'm just really praying. I just don't know what I should do about this situation. Don't know what I should do about my future. Don't know where I should move. Don't know if I should take this opportunity or not. Don't know what I should do here, right? And we can we can do a lot of fancy stuff trying to figure out God's will, right? Some people can, you know, get in putting stuff outside, putting down some fleeces, checking the dew. You kind of pray, Lord, you know, do you just if you want me to do this, maybe would you do that? 
give me a sign, right? We we can be honest. At least at some point in your life, you may have done that, right? But God's God's word has a lot of stuff that He's told us to do. A lot. And sometimes we'd be more interested, not that that's bad to ask God for wisdom and help and those things, because we should do that, I do that. But he's been very, very clear on a lot of things. And a lot of times we can just ignore it and be chasing other stuff. That's just an aside. And then back in the beginning, and we see this is kind of sandwiched, the doers of the word is sandwiched in between the beginning on anger and then later in 25 and in the tongue and, and treating the orphans. Really what I want you to see is that this section on anger, he tells us, you know, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And really what I think is anger, it's, this isn't just a, a random section kind of thrown in here. Um, anger reveals some of our blind spots. Okay, Anger can really reveal where our faith is lacking. Anger can reveal where where we're not really following God. And anger, it's kind of a trial and a temptation all in one, and it's really a mirror that reveals something to us because what we get angry about tells us something. Okay? If somebody cuts me off in traffic, that happened a couple times driving the truck around, right? People don't really respect big trucks. Um, Somebody can just cut you off and you can feel anger just boiling up. Right and had, but what I think too is that. Or, or here's what I think: I, I think a lot of things, stuff, circumstances. I don't think they always really cause our anger. I think a lot of the times they just reveal anger that's already there. They already re, they they're bringing something to the surface and they're revealing something. And, and what James is telling us is we need to be slow to anger. And it's, again, it's not saying never feel those emotions building up because they're going to come. They'll come all the time. But when they, when you start feeling them, okay, what are we doing with it? Are we just exploding? Okay, are we just letting that car have it? Because they can't hear us anyway, so it's fine. It's just, I'm alone here. No one's going to know. Or are we going to be slow to anger? Are we going to take a breath? Are we going to take it again and say, man, okay, why am I so angry about that? You know, moving, moving is really stressful. Um, I don't enjoy it. I really hate moving. It's not fun. Um, and moving brings out a lot of these moments in me where I realize I start getting mad or start raising my voice. You know, why am I, why am I upset about it? I've had to apologize um, to my wife a lot every time we move. Um, I have to. I'd like to think I'm getting a little better. I don't know. I know I'm going to have to apologize even more as we start hanging curtains and as we unpack more things. <laughs> That's It's going to come. But but what it does is, man, why am I angry about this? Like, why am I so angry that I can't find the scissors? And you had the scissors last, and now I need the scissors, and I can't find the scissors. Why am I getting angry? Why am I yelling? Well, really, I, I don't like being inconvenienced. Okay, I don't like to be inconvenienced. I want to have what I want to have, and you're keeping me from it. And now this is causing problems. I don't like these consequences. So now I'm angry at you for the way you're making me feel. Okay, that's that's revealing something. That's revealing something lacking in my faith. And it goes, James continues, and he ties anger to, to the tongue in 26. And if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
Okay, this, this verse, can we can skip over this a lot. If anyone thinks he's religious, okay, I think almost all of you would probably, bare minimum, whether you are just kind of interested in following Jesus or where you're at there, I mean, you're in a church on a Sunday morning, especially a Sunday morning where the clocks change. It's always a good time to get some extra sleep and blame it on that, right? You'd all consider yourself at least religious, okay? So this verse should make us pause. It says, if somebody thinks he's religious but doesn't do blank, then his religion's worthless. He's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. I, I mean, I don't want my religion to be considered worthless. Okay, but what James said is, man, somebody who does not control their tongue is deceiving his heart. It's deceiving how he's following Jesus. And so this begs the question, man, how do we speak? What comes out of our mouths? How do we talk to each other? Especially when we get angry, what comes out? What are some of the first words that exit our mouth? How do we talk about, how do we talk to those that we don't like? How do we talk to those people who annoy us? Who get on our nerves? That coworker that we wish would just stop having to drag their weight around? How do we talk to our family? How do we talk to our friends? How do you talk to people that you really hate, that you really do not like? How do you talk to people you disagree with? How do you even talk about people that you disagree with politically? That They're voting for somebody. You can't believe they're voting for that person. Why would they ever do What comes out of your mouth when you do that? How do you speak? Are you speaking about people creating the image of God in the way that Jesus would? That should make us, this should scare us. This should make us double check how we speak. How are we, and especially how are we posting social media and our emails and texts? Because God sees all of that. And one day we're going to have to answer for it. So how are we speaking about people? And what does that reveal about our faith? Does the way, especially the way that we talk about people that we do not like, that we do not disagree with, that says something about how we follow Jesus? Does somebody who read that think, oh, this person clear, they seem so much like Jesus? Right. Hopefully they would say that. I, I, I see and I've read a lot of things um, that Christians, that pastors write and write and say and they say online and man, it just makes me sad and I just think that's just a horrible example to the world of people who love Jesus. Run out of time, so here in 27 when it starts talking about religion that's pure and undefiled before the Father to visit widows and orphans. And so one of the next things in faith and work, it's who we serve really reveals how we're applying our faith. Who are the kinds of people that we're serving? Are we just serving the people that are easy? Are we just serving the people that are comfortable? Okay, it's really easy to serve my wife most of the time. Okay, it's easy to serve people that I like. It's easy to serve people who are close. It's much harder to serve people that are further from us. It's harder to serve people who are poor, who are a little smelly, who look a little gross, who are they're kind of annoying because I know if I go serve them, it's going to take 40 more minutes than I wish it would because they just like to talk and I can't get away from it. Okay, who, how we serve those people, and if we serve them at all, reveals if we're, how we're following Jesus. And I'll, this word, this idea that James uses to visit, it's not just to like, to check in on, to wave at. It's this idea of inspecting closely to see how they're really doing. To check up on them, to make sure things are okay, to see, do they have what they need? Where are they lacking? How can I serve them? How can I help them? And so, number three, um, in, in your blank, and this is important, in, 
as you're taking notes, and this is important for us, is to remember that the gospel changes what we do. This is kind of a repeat. We have to get the order right. Okay, we do not do these things. We don't do the stuff that James is talking about because we're trying to get Jesus to like us and because I really want to go to heaven one day. So to get there, I've got to do, I've got my list filled out. My list is growing because, man, James is hitting me with a lot of stuff here. No, that is not what gets us into heaven. That's not what redeems us. Jesus saved us despite anything that we did or will do. Now, because he saved us, because we've been changed by the gospel, because we've been changed by the God who accepts all without reproach, as long as we just come to him and repent and ask for help, that's all we have to do. Then he changes us. Okay, and that's when what we do changes. That we do these things, we try to apply the word as a response to the gospel, not as an attempt to get the gospel. And we have to we have to get get that order right. And, and man, we, we we do these things just because just because we should do it, just because we love Jesus and we want to be like Him, and we want to do the things that He asks us to do. Just like if somebody that you that you love that you really care about asks you to do something, okay, you're way more likely to do it, especially based on how much more you like them. Okay, even if it's something you don't want to do, you may just do it because you love them. That that's the way our relationship with Jesus should be. And as we continue to follow Jesus, as our faith continues to grow and we continue to chase him, that our, our own desires change. And we slowly do these things more and more. And as we go through more and more trials, and as we hear more and more of the word, and we're trying to do it and we're trying to do it, it just changes us slowly and it becomes a little bit easier, a little bit easier. As verse 4, we become closer to perfect and complete. That's what our what our faith should look like. And a part of our application this week, I just want to encourage all of you, and this is for me too, as we're as we're studying the book of James these next few weeks, that I encourage you to just read through the whole book. At least once. It would be great if you just read each chapter as we go through it a few times, read this chapter a few more times and just reflect on it. But man, there's so much in here and it really is beautiful. It's a short book. It's only five chapters. It shouldn't, depending on how fast or slow you are, it shouldn't take much more than 20 minutes. Um, so set aside some time during your week and just read through the whole thing and just pray and ask yourself, you know, Lord, wh- where do I need to be? Where do I need to be a doer of the word? Where does my faith need to go to work? Where do I need to apply this? Because there's so much in here. And even as you just read a chapter, if you come to something and it just hits you and you stop, man, just stop there and just meditate on it and wrestle with that this week. For me, what that is, is being slow to anger. Especially as we're unpacking and doing this, I've just been really convicted about, okay, man, why am I getting angry so quickly? No, I... I need to stop doing that. I need to to actually not just stand up here and preach about it. I need to do it. I just study it. I need to go to work on that. And man, what would just what would it what would it look like? What would it look like in all of our lives? What would it look like if, as a church if we were a, a church and a people, if we were individuals who didn't just hear the word but did it? That it wasn't just enough that we read our Bibles every morning, but that we read our Bibles every morning, and then we were convicted and thought, yep, I, today I need to do that. 
how much different would our relationships look like, what our families look like, what our work look like if we were doing the Word daily? Not just the easy parts that we mastered a while ago, but if we were continually looking and chasing, how can we be more like Jesus? And just encourage us, and our challenge for all of us is, man, let's be doers of the Word just because we love the one who did everything for us. Let me pray for us in closing. Um, Lord, I just want to thank you. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for us. Lord, that you, you looked at us in all of our dysfunction, our rebellion, our brokenness, our sin, and you said, I love them, I want them, I want them in my family. And you changed us. And Lord, we, we all are just asking for wisdom this week, that you would help us, Lord, because we can't do your word unless you help us. That we can't even take the next step in obeying you unless your Holy Spirit gives us the ability. So Lord, would you, would you help us? Would you guide us? Would you be with us? Lord, would you just help us here at Tanglewood be, be a church and be a people who are known as doers of the word, not just known as people who listen. I just pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.